0: your creator, because you died on a cross to pay for new life, new birth, we enjoy these benefits as your children, born not of the flesh, born not of the will of parents, but born of God. We thank you that you tell us what life is about. We know that so many are searching for meaning in life. So many devalue life, and yet you put life in its proper perspective. And so I pray, as we look at your word today on a controversial topic, that we would understand your heart better. Help us understand the things you've said, and submit to the things you've said. And help us marvel again. That you, and only you, are the creator. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, a national day, and many churches are talking about life on this Sunday, and for many, many years, it seemed like most of the time I would go to Sanctity of Life Sunday, and it's very appropriate to discuss the issue of abortion on those days, especially as it relates to uh, laws in this country and what we've chosen as a nation in in regards to that. And yet I know there's other areas of life that should be talked about that we also face. And so some years we, we should talk about abortion, other years we talk about other issues. It's always controversial, I understand that. But I think it's very important that as a church we go to the places that that are hard to talk about. I'm sure at least one time during my time in Three Lakes, someone said to me, why would you talk about that topic? That's one of those we just don't talk about. I'm like, that's exactly why we have to go there as a church. It's exactly why we have to talk about that. This morning I want to talk about sanctity at the end of life. How life is sacred even at the end of life. I want to talk about euthanasia this morning. The, the taking of life at, at the end of life. Or maybe it, maybe even the middle of life. It, it is a controversial topic. And so I'm asking that you would give me a measure of grace this morning a, a, as I share from God's Word. But then ultimately by the end say, what do you make of this? What do you see here? What conclusions would you make from these passages, these truths of God? Because I can't point to the verse that says, Thou shalt not do this, unless you call it murder, thou shalt not kill, then we do have a verse in that category. But there's different shades of this issue, and I want to I want to talk about it this morning. Um, first of all, let me clarify a couple terms for you. If you want to grab your, your bulletins inside, you'll have a set of notes, and, and that'll be really helpful because I'm doing a gazillion verses, so buckle your seatbelt kind of thing. That, that's the territory we're walking into this morning, but... Um, Clarifying a couple terms here. Active euthanasia is another way of saying physician-assisted suicide. The idea that you can ingest uh, some drugs and end your life, perhaps if you're a terminally ill patient and you don't want to go through the pain uh, anymore. That's the active part. Passive would be that you're nearing the end of your life and you're taking out the feeding tube, you're taking out life support. And and the reason passive euthanasia is such a big question today is because we have machines that can keep your body alive maybe longer than you yourself are truly alive. But we can keep organs working. We have have great technology. And of course, the Bible doesn't address that technology. So we have to read the Bible, use wisdom, understand as best we can, and, and make good decisions in that area. So I want to talk about both of those this morning. Now, in the middle of all that, let me, let me name some important issues that we'll consider. Either I'm going to mention them directly or indirectly as we go through this morning. First of all, you see there's the definition of death. When does death occur? You might think that's a no-brainer, but, but, it, but it, it really does matter in this case. And we'll talk about that. The definition of a person. Again, you say, well, that's easy. I know what a person is. What, what makes a person a person, though? Number three, the wishes of the person. When you're facing end-of-life issues, you, you, you ought to know. What, what do they want that should be taken into consideration? Human dignity. How much pain will they go through? What will their quality of life be? Those are human dignity issues. The next one is sanctity of human life. The fact that life is sacred and we don't just take life. We don't just do that. And if we do that, which which some are doing in the United States today, if we do take life as someone approaches, as someone's going through a terminal illness, we better know where we stand on that. And then lastly, biblical commands. Maybe last but certainly not least, what does the Bible say? What are we to obey in this area? I want to start by reading uh, something written by a young woman who uh, I think a lot of you heard about this story. It was the story of Brittany Maynard. Uh, She was 29 years old and she had a brain tumor. And these are, and she elected to end her own life. This is what she says. On New Year's Day, after months of suffering from debilitating headaches, I learned that I had brain cancer. I was 29 years old. I'd been married for just over a year. My husband and I were trying for a family. Our lives devolved into hospital stays, doctor consultations, and medical research. Nine days after my initial diagnosis, I had a partial craniotomy and a partial resection of my temporal lobe. Both surgeries were an effort to stop the growth of my tumor. In April, I learned that not only had my tumor come back, but it had been more aggressive. The doctors gave me a prognosis of six months to live. Because the tumor is so large, doctors prescribed full brain radiation. I read about the side effects: the hair on my scalp would have been singed off, my scalp would be left covered with first-degree burns, my quality of life, as I knew it, would be gone. After months of research, my family and I reached a heartbreaking conclusion. There's no treatment that would save my life, and the recommended treatments would have destroyed the time I had left. I considered passing away in hospice care at my San Francisco Bay Area home, but even with palliative medication, I could develop potentially morphine-resistant pain and suffer personality changes and verbal, cognitive, and motor loss of virtually any kind. Because the rest of my body is young and healthy, I'm likely to physically hang on for a long time, even though cancer is eating at my mind. I probably would have suffered in hospice care for weeks or even months, and my family would have to watch that. I do not want this nightmare scenario for my family, so I started researching death with dignity. It is an end-of-life option for the mentally competent, terminally ill patients with a prognosis Of six months or less to live, it would enable me to use the medical practice of aid in dying. I would request and receive a prescription from a physician for medication that I could self-ingest to end my dying process if it becomes unbearable. I quickly decided that death with dignity was the best option for me and my family. And that is the direction she took. Um, A lot of Christians have written about this some standing with her, some against it, some against it but with huge compassion for the situation. i just like to ask the question, how do you begin to navigate that decision? And and I know a lot of people, what you want to hear is, well, tell us for sure if that's right or wrong. And I'm sure by the end I'll probably give an opinion at some point. But I'm more concerned that we think biblically about this so that we can apply this to a broad range of issues. Because some of you might be in the hospital room with an aging relative and you have to make the decision. Some of you have already been there and you've made the decision. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And when you find yourself in that position of, I have to make the decision, I hope that you run through that list that I gave you earlier and you think, ultimately though, what does the Lord say? And then you make the decision. Here's where I think we should go. Here are some theological considerations we should be thinking about as a church as we face this issue. Number one, in your notes, number one, we ought to remember that Christ is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Christ is both the creator and he's the sustainer of all things. We'll put the verse up here. Colossians 1.16. For by Him all things were created, including you, things in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And so we say, we're sitting here in church today because Christ is holding things together. The fact that, 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 the, that the laws of gravity and, and the things that are working and in science are working, Christ holds these things together. He started it. He sustains it. The fact that you're here means He is sustaining your life. The fact that we're praying about Ellen Dirk this morning is showing that Christ is sustaining her life. And all the days written for us are ordained by God. That's in the Psalms. He's got every day. And when our days are over, there's a a stop in the sustaining and, and you go to be with the Lord. Next verse in Acts, Paul says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are His offspring. In God we live and move and have our being. Again, the fact that you can walk out the doors this morning means that God is enabling you to do that. That's a theological truth. Christ is the creator, and he is the sustainer. If Christ is the creator, then what we do with our bodies, even at the end of life, matters. To say, I don't want to go through this, so I will take my life, you have to ask the question, am I taking God's rights as the creator of this body? Another way it's said is, Christ bought you. You are not your own. Therefore, honor God with your body. So if you say, I don't want to be alive in this body anymore, I have to seriously question whether you are taking God's rights away from him and saying, I will do what I want. I understand in America today we love talking about human rights and that's an important topic and there's many ways human rights are trampled on. I get it. But God has authority over our bodies more than we have authority over our bodies because He is a creator. So whatever He says we can do, we can do with them. And whatever He says we can't do, we can't do. To say that Christ is a sustainer of our bodies means I will live all the days that Christ has for me. When He stops sustaining me, I will pass away. We're all going to die. Some people... And some churches teach that Christ wants to heal all of your diseases and sicknesses in this life. It's God's will that every single sickness be healed during this life. Not just in heaven, but now. And I disagree with that. I, I see the verses they look at and I say, okay, I think that applies to heaven. And I think sometimes heaven breaks into now and we do get healed of diseases. I think that does happen. In fact, I believe for sure that that happens. Otherwise, I wouldn't pray for it. But ultimately, sin will end our life. And, and, and no one here is going to be immune from that, and we know that. 100% of people here are going to die unless Christ returns first. God hasn't removed that element of sin's reign on earth. We're all going to die. If one day we will not be sustained any longer and we'll be with the Lord. And that will be better. I mean, we'll get there. We'll talk about that. But if Christ is a sustainer and the sustainer has allowed cancer or another terminal disease to take over our life and end it, then in some ways, if we say, God, you've done this, and I'm not going to go through the treatment for it. Is that wrong? We might call that passive euthanasia. I could get treated to extend my life by six months or a year, or I could face death now, gather my family around, and live, in, live out the rest of my days as I can. And if Christ is the sustainer of our life, you might conclude that that's okay. Let me give you an example of what I mean. A dear woman that I know, that you do not know, but, but a woman that I used to visit in a nursing home, was on uh, kidney dialysis, very advanced in years, a believer in Christ Jesus. And she said, You know, this dialysis is taking its toll on me, and, and I'm just done. I'm ready to be with the Lord. And so they took her off dialysis. They said, you probably have three weeks to live. She lasted three months. And she got to enjoy those days with her family. And then the Lord took her. She wasn't going to recover from the issues in her body. That that was a done deal. She wasn't going to recover from that. And it was her decision, I'm not going through the medical treatment. I'm ready to be with Jesus. And personally, I'm not ready to judge her for that decision. Even though it may have given her life a little bit longer. Christ is the sustainer of life more than medical equipment is. Now, that brings up a good question. And I already see that I don't have a ton of time here. So um, in your notes, is, it brings up a good question. Do we say that God causes things or God allows things? That, that terminal illness, did God cause that or did God allow that? And some people, depending on your bent, some of you are a little more Calvinistic, sovereignty of God, and you're going to say, God causes it all. And some of you are going to say, no, 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 that, that's, that's disease, illness, that's from the fall, that's, that's, the, that's sin ruling, and, and God allows it to happen. He didn't do it. All I've got to say is this. I always lean harder on the sovereignty side of things. That's just how I read Scripture. But if I'm being honest, when you read the Bible, you see both. You see both. God causes and God allows. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, next verse. Exodus 21:13. If you strike a man and he ends up dying, that's not good. But look at verse 13 here. However, if he does not do it intentionally, but God lets it happen, he is to flee to a place I will designate. If you strike a person and that person dies, but you didn't mean to kill him, But he he did die, but God lets it happen. He allows your violent act unintentionally takes a person's life. God lets it happen. Next verse. Uh, Job. You know that Satan afflicted Job and did all of those things. Satan did it. And yet Job says... Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What God took away, I thought it was Satan that took away. Well, God allowed Satan, so is it God allowing or God doing? And it says in the next verse, Job didn't charge God with wrongdoing. He didn't say, God, you've done wrong here. Job didn't sin when he said that. Okay, is it permitting? Is it causing? Next verse. Ezekiel 26, God says, I let them become defiled through their gifts, the sacrifice of every firstborn. Okay, I let Israel become defiled. You want to be defiled? I'll let you do that. Sounds like God allows things. Next verse. Genesis 26, God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you did this. Oh, this is where Abraham and Sarah, uh, Abraham lies and says Sarah is his sister instead of his wife because he's worried someone might take kill him you know, and take his wife. And, and the king wants Sarah to be a wife. God said to the king in the dream, "Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, so I've kept you from sinning against me. I kept you from it, boy. Any day that God keeps me from sinning, that's going to be a good day. You know, I don't want to sin. Keep me from sinning, God. Sounds very active, doesn't it? Next verse. Uh, here's another active verse. Therefore, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy. He hardens." Speaking, uh, referring to Pharaoh, he hardens those he wants to harden. That's very sovereignty of God, heavy power going on there. And lastly, uh, the demons begged Jesus, "Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them." He gave them permission. Jesus gave the demons permission. Did he cause it? Did he allow it? Sure, sure looks like he allowed it to me. So, if you say, well, "Which one is it?" Do you say God causes or God allows? And I say, yes. That's the way the Bible talks. So if you hear me talking one way, don't think I'm only talking one way. Let's keep going. It is a little bit of a mystery how God's sovereign plan works out in our lives, but we can trust that he has a plan. And if God will not heal us from terminal illness, we can trust it's part of the plan. Number two, God created human beings in his image. God created human beings in his image. This is Genesis 1, 26 and 27. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, over all the earth, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Men and women are created in the image of God. It makes us different from animals, clearly from this verse. The life of an animal is not worth the life of a human based on this passage. We're made in God's image. What does that mean? I've given you three views here uh, just just to briefly share them. Uh, there's a structural view. Saying that I am in God's image means that I have human characteristics such as reason, self-consciousness, and self-determination. I can think for myself. You can think for yourself. You're an image bearer because God thinks for himself. Some people say, well, I I lean on the relational side of this. There's a relational view. Being made in the image of God means I can have a relationship with myself, with God, and with other human beings. We're made for relationship. That's why women were made, because it's not good for man to be alone. We need a relationship with other people. That's part of being in the image of God. By the way, the Trinity is in relationship with itself, which is why we need to be in relationship with other people. God himself has. Even though he's one God, he relates to himself in three persons. Uh, Thirdly, there's the functional view, is our ability to rule over creation. And that's the whole thing of God saying, rule over the livestock, the fish of the sea, birds of the air. We're to steward God's creation. That's being made in the image of God. Which one is it? I'm most comfortable saying it's all three. You see all of these things, and we bear the image of God. Now, the reason this is important is because we've got to ask the question, at the end of someone's life, if, if they have, say, irreversible brain death, can you say that person's not a person anymore? They're unconscious. They'll never come out of it. And yet we have machines that can keep hearts beating, can keep bodies alive. What do you do with that? Is that person a person? And so that means we ask the question, what's a person? I've given you an attempt at a definition, but I think however we define a person, the central feature of it has to be image of God. What makes you bigger and better than an animal? Image of God. That's it. That's it. The fact that you are like him. In fact, uh, some people say it's not only the image of God, it's the image as God. So we are God's image to the earth. The way we relate to each other should be like the Lord. We should act like him as we relate to other people. Some Jewish rabbis have said it really could be made as the image of God, not just in the image of God. I think I said it wrong the first time. As the image of God. Here's an attempt at a definition of a person. A human person is a unique individual made as, there's that word, made as God's image, known and cared for by God at every stage of life with the actual ability or potential to be aware of oneself and to relate in some way to one's environment, to other human beings, and to God. That's just one Christian uh, uh, scholar trying to, trying to put words to What does it mean to be a person made in the image of God? Because at the end of life, if we could say there's no getting that loved one back, they're completely gone, irreversible, they're unconscious, they're not coming back ever, the brain damage has been done, we could conclude that a person is not a person anymore, they're already done. That's why these definitions are important. And they're all based in the biblical idea of image of God. Let me give an example. This is one reason why even the mentally challenged, the handicapped among us, are clearly made in the image of God. Because you and I both know they do have the ability to, to relate, to have relationship to some degree with others and they may not be able to think as we think or do what we do, but there's a relationship. There's image of God. Even if it might be a little little decreased from what you see more commonly, it's there, and they have infinite value. Let's keep that in mind. Number three. Number three. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, death is a means of exalting Christ. Death is a means of exalting Christ. When you look at your death, or your loved one's upcoming death, you have to think in terms of, death is not the end. Death has been defeated. That's the 1 Corinthians verse, O death, where is your victory, O death, where is your sting? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. Put in a tomb, he was raised from the dead three days later. He conquered death, and that changes everything about how we view death. It should change the way you view death. I was with uh, a dear woman that you know. I was with. Uh, I used to visit Shirley Freeman before she passed away, and I shared this at her funeral. Many, some of you were there. I had a visit with her when she spoke of her death, and I got her permission from her family to share this. Um. And she said she was not scared to be with Jesus. She, she spoke about her death and longing to see Jesus. And I thought, that, that's one of the most powerful moments in ministry that I've had in my entire life. I will never forget that day when I sat with a dear sister who looked at her impending death and said, I am ready. I am not afraid. I'm ready to be with Jesus. And I think as a young guy, we kind of think, man, I, I, I don't feel that way. I, I, I feel like I would be more scared. But I have a hope that, that when I face my own death, I will be like that because Christ has conquered death and we don't face it the same way. Um, next verse, uh, Philippians 1.20. Paul says, I eagerly expect and hope that I'll be in no way ashamed, but will have sufficient courage... That's what I was just talking about. I want courage. So that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life, and at the time he wrote this he was in prison, or by death. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If you kill me, I, I get the gain of being with Jesus. So really you can't take much away from me. You take my life, I get an even better life with Christ. So he says, in my body... If I'm facing death, I want the courage to face it in a way that exalts Christ. So, my question is if you end your life prematurely, have you taken away some of Christ's exaltation at the end? Because isn't Christ exalted when family members care for you when your body is failing? Isn't Christ exalted during those times? Some of you have been there. You've done the hospice care. You know. You know the difficulty of that. Would we take Christ's exaltation away in those final moments by saying, I'm done now. I'm just asking the question there. Just asking the question. The end of our life is supposed to be about exalting Christ. And and, and I've been with people at the end of life, and I know that it's not pretty. I know that, and you know that. But I also know that it, could sh- it can show Christ in, a, in such a unique way that it's amazing. I was with a... F- my wife and I did ministry with a family and, and the, in Watoma, and, and the husband, who couldn't have been more than early 50s, had cancer. And he was a large, strong man. I mean, just imposing in his height. God saved him from a life of just crazy, crazy violence, and God changed him, but he was still a big, imposing man, and we got to be there as cancer took his life and to see the change in in him to see the change in his body th- th- those, none of those are easy things, none of them are but i remember I remember kneeling I remember him lying on a mattress on the floor and I was kneeling in his own home. I'm kneeling beside him and I'm, he's trying to speak and they're, and they're, they're, they're quiet words. And, he, and he's telling me about getting ready to see Jesus. And he's, he's telling me there's still fear there. But he's telling me he's holding on with everything he's got to his faith. When you're in a moment like that with someone, you will never forget it. Christ can be exalted in profound ways at the end of life, even as a person's in pain. This is also the reason why, if if a family member elects not to be put on a machine. But to let the body take its natural course, in some ways this kind of makes sense. Because Christ has caused or allowed this, this thing in their life. And if you're talking about prolonging the life by a few extra months or a year versus facing death now, okay. May Christ be exalted. May, all right. Death doesn't get the final answer here, that, that's not it. Death happens and then the everlasting life begins. Again, this is how I struggle with it. Now, uh, some people ask, well, what is death? When does death occur? Um, It's really easy if you think about death in terms of uh, heart and lungs. Right? Jesus was on the cross and it says he breathed his last That's a way of saying he died. his, His lungs failed him. B, I think we could talk very theologically and say the death happens when the soul leaves the body. Again, Jesus on the cross, it says he cried out in a loud voice and he gave up his spirit. He died. He gave up the spirit. With medical technology, we have categories C and D here because of that. Because we can put your body on a machine, we need categories like this. We talk about brain death. Is the brain irreversibly dead? Is that person there anymore? If we can't bring them out of unconsciousness ever again, if the brain's truly dead, we might question whether that person is truly a person anymore. If you're just keeping a body living on a table. We could talk about neocortical death. That's your higher brain functions. That one is uh, a little more debated today. When, when, when your neo, neocortical functions go, are, are you gone at that point? Um, things that you might research as you, as you think about it. Uh, but these are kind of the categories we think of. It's really clean when you think about points A and B. But the problem with point B is, let's just say it's very theological and very true. But you know the issue with point B. When when does the soul leave the body? Who can observe that but the Lord himself? So because we can't observe the soul leaving the body, I think it's helpful to go back to image of God. And and, and is any ability to, to image God completely gone? We might conclude that is death then. Now, I've given many uh, thoughts, hopefully, for you to consider. Uh, part four, though, is so important. Part four is, uh, Point four is like, I, I hope this sustains you if you're facing this decision. The Holy Spirit empowers the Christian to make biblical, Christ-exalting decisions. Biblical, Christ-exalting decisions. Uh, first verse on that. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. The Spirit will lead you into the truth of God's Word to make this decision. He'll take you to the right passages. Next verse. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I love that because it's it's like Paul is saying, don't sell yourself short. You might think this, this decision is too big for you. It's it's not. Because you have the mind of Christ. Maybe one more verse there, I think. James, the James 1 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. Do you think God would ever turn away asking for wisdom on what to do with a relative who is permanently unconscious? Has experienced brain death. He will give you wisdom in those situations. He will. He promises it. He will help you. I know a dear family and older woman in the hospital in her late 80s. And uh, she was quickly approaching her death. The whole family was kind of expecting it. And, And the daughter made the decision do not resuscitate. If she goes, she goes. Do not resuscitate her. And I spoke with the daughter and, you know, how do you make a decision like that? Because I want to see how Christians make these decisions. And she said, I've worked in the hospital. I've seen, I've seen what happens to your body when they try to resuscitate you and, and the violence that is done trying to bring you back. And mom knows the Lord. Mom knows the Lord and she's ready. She's so ready. And if God takes her, I know where she's at. All right. All right. These are sometimes heartbreaking decisions. But Christians can make them in confidence knowing that God gives you wisdom. He promises it. You are capable of it. And to say that you're not is to deny that the Holy Spirit is in you giving you the ability to do that. That's also why we have the church. If you feel overwhelmed, you can call someone else that is wise among us. And they can speak to you. They can pray with you. I'd be privileged to do that. Many here would. So at the end of this, let me say again, there's conclusions to be made. I'm asking that you, the church, make these conclusions. I personally, I'm just telling you my own convictions, not having been in this situation myself, or I I haven't had loved ones in this situation, but an active form of euthanasia, physician-assisted suicide, seems to take God's place as creator and sustainer. Leave Leave the death of the person to the Lord. Passive euthanasia, Removal from life support. It seems like in certain terminal situations, you could probably make a case that this person's nearing their death quickly anyway. Why do we want a machine to decrease their quality of life? Let them live the rest of their days in peace. I've seen families make that decision. To me, it seems like, in some ways, an honorable decision. I'm not saying in every case that's the decision. I'm only saying I've seen it made in, in a Christ-exalting way. I saw it made in a Christ-exalting way last week. You know, another story of a, fa- of a woman making that decision. So, um, let's stand together. I want to pray for you, especially those that are facing this decision with a loved one. Um, we're going to pray, and then you're dismissed. Sunday school will talk about this issue right here. If you'd like to stay and talk about it a little bit more, I'd invite you to. Um, Children's Sunday school will start downstairs. We'll start up here at 10:45. Children's will start at 10:30. Let me pray for you and uh, let's close in that way. Father, it's a heavy thing, and yet I pray that each person here views their death as a way to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that that is the, the, the deep desire of our heart. To live every day as a way that if we're in the body, it's another day to praise Jesus. I pray for those right now who have heavy hearts that are facing this very thing. That you'd fill them with wisdom. I pray, I've not, I pray that I have not given easy answers or one size fits all answers. I pray that I've not done that. But I pray that I've given us a way to think biblically about a difficult issue. These things are harder than I know. But you know how hard they are. And you give your grace in all of these situations as we cry out to you for it. So, God, help us. Help us. Fill us with your wisdom. And may every day we live be another day to exalt you, a day that you've given us as the creator and sustainer of life. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.